You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 2, Episode 6. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello there, and welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you from the beautiful province of Alberta, Canada. In this episode, I had a chance to catch up to a good friend and colleague, a fellow immigration lawyer, Irma Roberts, who practices in Calgary, Alberta. Irma has a particular focus that's a little bit different than a lot of immigration lawyers. Uh, Since the beginning of her practice, she has always worked with foreign doctors who are looking for opportunities to practice in Canada. And she has uh, herself immigrated from South Africa. um, And uh, through that experience and and other connections, she's always worked with, with international medical graduates. And so she brings a unique perspective to this discussion. Now, in you know, some of you might think, okay, you know, I've worked with foreign doctors who want to immigrate to Canada. And, and we all know the stories of our old immigration uh, programs that really um, heavily favored highly educated people with high human capital. But then we get the stories of foreign trained doctors who are driving taxis. And so um, I just want to clear the air. This isn't a, a podcast dedicated to, you know, focusing on highly skilled physicians abroad who are just looking to immigrate but never practice. This podcast is focused on the practical aspects uh, of how a physician actually goes about getting a job in Canada, practicing as a physician in Canada, and what it takes to do that. Now, we're a little bit Alberta-focused, but the reality is the same general principles will apply across the country. So if you are... um, Uh, a lawyer who has foreign trained doctors that are looking at opportunities in Canada. And uh, that is to actually take their foreign credential and be able to practice as a physician in Canada. You're going to learn a ton from Irma. She's been at this game for years and years. And so I couldn't think of anyone else that um, would have a better uh, take on this whole area than to bring Irma on. And uh, she's, like I said, she's been a great friend, someone that I've known for years. And we talk a little bit about that in, in the interview that I had with her. But uh, she was the chapter chair when I very first started practice in Calgary for the Canadian Bar Association. And and um, some of my fondest memories are our stampede barbecues. And, and the, the city of Calgary has their annual stampede celebration. The Calgary Stampede, it's, it's world-renowned for its, its rodeo, its chuck wagon races. And, and it, for some of you who are wondering, what the heck is a chuck wagon race? Well, basically, it's, it's these um, you know, horse-drawn wagons, and they race around, these, uh, around the track, essentially, just like a, a horse race almost. And uh, there's outriders, you know, guys that are, you know, involved following behind with, um, you know, that are riding on horseback. And there's quite a lot of history to this event. But anyways, that's the Calgary Stampede. Well, the whole city basically shuts down for for that uh, that week-long period or 10 days, I should say. And one of the events that our local Canadian Bar Association, uh, our immigration section, has always done is invite the local immigration officers to come and join us for just a, a get-together, relaxing, um, you know, uh, just an event that's designed to help us build relationships with them and and to realize that there's more to everything that we do than just, you know, the government's position and us and our position representing clients and to kind of break down those barriers. And when I started practicing, it used to be hosted by uh, just a wonderful immigration lawyer who's now retired, Henry Beaumont, um, who hosted it at his beautiful home on the banks of the Elbow River. And so uh, we would have this annual barbecue, invite the immigration officers and the enforcement officers and everyone related to immigration 
uh, we get a chance to to talk with them and visit with them and get to know them on more of a personal level. And every year we've continued to do that, even in this whole context of of um, you know nameless, faceless immigration, where you can't really even speak to anyone, and there's no numbers and there's no ways of actually directing an, a, a call or inquiry to a specific officer. Anyway, so we still do that, and something that I know that our, our local Canadian Bar Association subsection in Calgary is very proud of, and and those who've continued that um, that torch and have continued to organize and, and run that Stampede. Uh, barbecue that, that that's just an awesome event so anyways that was where I first met Irma and uh, yeah she was uh, just just a wonderful person and someone that I, I grew to to become good friends with and it was it's just a pleasure to have her come on the podcast so um, without any further ado um, let's jump to that interview with immigration lawyer Irma Roberts Well, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Irma Roberts, who practices Canadian immigration law in the beautiful city of Calgary, Alberta. Welcome to the podcast, Irma. Thank you, Mark. This beautiful cold day in Calgary, it's minus 25 right now, but it's still a nice city. Yes, and I know as I was... uh, uh, I was just mentioning in a a podcast interview that I did yesterday... um, the extra time it took to clear away all of the snow that had piled up on my vehicle. And, you know, I see sun as I look out my window here outside, I see sun, but we are completely covered in snow down here in Lethbridge. And it, that doesn't happen a lot, you know, with our Chinook wind that blows in and warms everything up. Exactly. Um, you know, we're, it's not like up in Edmonton where it snows and it tends to stick around for the, the whole winter and just keep no. piling up. But uh, yeah, we, we got quite a dump, but it's been really, really cold. So I'll be looking forward to spring. Well, welcome um, once again to the podcast. And, you know, I think I've known you probably since about 2004 uh, when I first entered into the wonderful world of of immigration, maybe a little bit before that, but I got involved uh, more with the local chapter of the Canadian Bar Association. And I think at that stage or right around there, you were the chapter chair for the uh, Alberta South section, weren't you? I think it was about around that time, and I I do believe we you know we could have made at a stampede barbecue as well. Yes. One of the things that lawyers in other parts of the city don't have. I always think that that's the best thing about CBA in Calgary, the immigration section, where we actually have a barbecue between members of the section as well as immigration officers from the local office. And it's a very, as you know, very informal, very nice function to get to know people in immigration, but away from work. Yeah. And I was talking, um, I I did an interview with Peter Rakai uh, with, I think it was episode four of, of, of the podcast for this season. And we were just talking about, you know, even... Well, at that time, there were lots of officers that we knew. If we had issues, we could we could call them directly and ask them questions or have them look into something. And they actually had the authority and the power to do something about it. But yes. that's that's been one of the the transformations that is really, really, um, you know, I guess caused me to <laughs> to enjoy immigration a little bit less is the fact that it's become so nameless and faceless and it's really difficult to speak to someone when you've got a, a genuine problem or an error that's been you know committed by by the government that's one of the things that i miss the most is is those personal relationships with the officers and at that stage they still had an office in Lethbridge as well and they have mm-hmm. closed so many of the smaller centers around Canada as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, the closure of the Lethbridge office resulted in a little bit of a, well, who am I kidding, a huge benefit to my firm because uh, Billy, uh, then Big Stone, now young, uh, was the main immigration officer in Lethbridge. And she now works directly with me as, a, as an immigration consultant. So that's uh, that was one of the benefits that occurred with the closure of those small offices across the country. But I can tell you... Um, you know, just not having people to talk to. And, you know, when, when we ourselves were so used to having the ability to do so, uh, that, yeah, that's been one of the things that I've, I've really missed since those, uh, quote, good old days. Well, I guess what I miss about the good old days is that not only are they not talking to lawyers anymore, but they're not talking to each other. Um, in a sense, like I once had a call 
where immigration called me in Calgary and um, they asked me if I have the telephone number of the officer at Service Canada. And I was kind of surprised that one government department couldn't reach the other person without the lawyer giving them the telephone number for that specific person. Also, what I've realized just in the past week, even with the Alberta nominee program, the director has you know, sending emails to their contact person in Ottawa and they just don't reply back. So if they ignore a director of a nominee program, what is that saying? How would they respond to when, you know, we are asking them questions um, when we represent clients? Yeah, it's like to me, that's that's very unfortunate that it came to this. Yeah. And, you know, it's interesting, too, because when I hear those stories about other people, um, who are experiencing the same types of frustrations that I am, it actually makes me feel a little better <laughs> because <laughs> I know that I'm not being singled out. They're treating everybody just as terribly as, you know, as they've, as I felt like I've been treated. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a whole different world for sure. And, and, um, you know, I guess it's just a testament to us who, who have stuck it out and are, are, you know, uh, are continuing to, to apply our, our trade of immigration law and, you know, um, you know, maybe I'll just take a, a few minutes here, Irma, and just give a little background for our listeners on you and introduce you uh, as the uh, the person who who brings a whole lot of knowledge on the topic of our podcast uh, today. And that topic is is going to be focused on anyone who is involved with the um, you know the inter- the area of international medical graduates, so foreign doctors who are coming to to actually work in. Canada. And that's the distinction. So this is going to talk about all the ins and outs if you're a foreign trained physician who wants to actually practice as a, as, as a doctor here in Canada. We're going to talk about that. And, um, and so uh, you, Irma, have had a lot of experience doing this. And from day one, I always recognized you as the, as the physician's immigration lawyer. And uh, you've been going at it since about 1998 in Calgary. Isn't that the case? Yes, yes. And your and your practice that's a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and and your practice includes obviously you've got a um a pretty good focus on on international medical graduates, the IMGs, but but the also other areas of immigration. So it's not like that's your exclusive line of of service. No. Um you, you like me, you you don't do refugee work. Uh, we we leave that to our highly qualified uh, colleagues who really focus on that area. But um, yeah, you've you've been pretty heavily involved in the community as well. And I, and I, like I said before, you, you were the past chapter chair of the Alberta South section of the CBA, which is a position that I had the opportunity of holding um, a few years back. Um, you know, I've, I've always known you to be very involved in the community. And I understand at one time you were also uh, teaching some of the immigration practitioner uh, uh, courses at, at Bow Valley College um, in the day, I guess, isn't it? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, and then the program was at some stage discontinued and yes, the program is now up and running again at Bow Valley College for quite some time. Huh. That's interesting. Now, um, you also mentioned to me that you were a director on the Sunrise Community Link or with the Sunrise Community Link. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, I, I really... You know, if you look at how you want to spend your time, and time is precious nowadays, I am um, very happy to be involved. It's an anti-poverty organization in Calgary, and Sunrise Community Link, um, they're located in Forest Lawn in Calgary. So, again, an area where you have many immigrants, um, many social issues, um, as well as, you know, just a lot of people nowadays who are out of work. So what Sunrise does is, um, and that's why they say Sunrise Community Link, any person can walk into their office. They get a lot of their funding, even from, you know, it's like the United Way or other bigger organizations. They basically refer their clients as they come into the other organizations. So if you come in there and you you know you don't have a job or whatever, they may refer you and say, go and 
go to this office, um, this is Alberta Works, this is how they're going to assist you. Or if you need immediately assistance, like, you know, this is the food bank. So they kind of get you into where you should be because you have all of these different organizations in Calgary, but people don't always know how to get to them. Um, they just they just don't know. And especially in this area, there's quite a need for uh you know, organizations such as Sunrise. Um, they will get you if you are a new immigrant and you don't know where do I go, I need assistance. Um, they may say to you, go to legal aid, but people don't know, but what they, you know, where to go for their specific needs. But what they know is come to Sunrise and they will get you into contact with the people who's going to help you. And then there's certain things that they can do immediately as well. They do get some of the um, products from the Calgary Food Bank as well. So, you know, if somebody's coming in and they have a need today, they may actually provide them with a hamper and say, okay, this is it. Now you have to go and register at the food bank. They also help with um, training people, you know, um, just by having different courses there in the community. They have tons of volunteers coming in. Um, and then one of the things that I like about them is they have a knit program where a lot of the people who access their services will sit there and knit like scarves and, and gloves and then sell that again and that money will come in. But it kind of gives people a place where they can come and do something uplifting with other people in the community. So I think a fantastic organization that's really there to help people who is in need of it um, and yeah, that's basically what they do. So that's really interesting. So how did you get involved with Sunrise Community Link in the first place? How did you get connected with them? Well, it was kind of strange because I was looking at some stage, thinking if I wanted to have an office in that area to do something different. Um, and basically, I um, started talking to one of the summer students who was working there. And he asked me where I'm from, because I have the same accent as his parents. You're, you're not from Canada? Uh, no, I am. South <laughs> I grew up in South Africa. <laughs> So, um, I told my kids, this is the accent that I have, but it depends on who's listening, whether you think I have one, you know. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, so I started talking to them and they were looking for quite a, some time to have an immigration lawyer to be a director on their board. And I met with, with them and it basically started, I, I was very, I wanted to know exactly what they are doing before I wanted to commit to something like that. And I think I was just very impressed with the work they are doing in that area. And um, after meeting with different people in the organization, I, I decided to to take them on and yeah, be on their board. The rest is history. That's, that's the awesome. You know, and that's the thing that I love to showcase more than anything. So yes, there's a lot of immigration lawyers that listen to the podcast, both in the U S and in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I know the immigration officers and border officers, they listen to the podcast too from time to time. But the thing that I want to showcase most is that immigration lawyers are just awesome. You know, the, the amount of time that we spend giving back to the community, and I'm not talking about the, the hundreds of clients that come into our office for consultations and assistance that we never charge. I'm talking about actually being involved with these organizations and truly giving back to the community. And so, so that's, that's awesome, Irma. That's just amazing to, uh, you know, to hear about that. I, I'll have to get a link for the association if they've got a website and we'll put that in sure, the show notes as well. they do have a website. Yeah, no, they do have a website. So I will provide you with that link. Perfect. Okay, so the question I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, how did you get into immigration? How did I get into immigration? Well, I must be the only person who still miss Saskatchewan who've moved to Calgary. I don't know, but I loved living in Saskatchewan. And when I started practicing law there, I did a lot of estate litigation. I did so many wills. I've said I never wanted to do a, another will in my life. <laughs> um, and again, like, you know, that's what I did there is some litigation, um, lots of agreements and stuff. Um, and a little bit of more business law. And then being a South African, Saskatchewan was one of the provinces at the time, and they still may be, who has got quite a high number of um, 
physicians who came there from countries outside of you know your yeah south africa the uk at that stage as well so people will hear my south african accent and ask me as a lawyer do you do immigration and then one day i decided why why shouldn't i <laughs> because it seems like at the time there wasn't a lot of lawyers even doing immigration in saskatchewan and i basically decided okay i'll do this physician's immigration and um that was in actually in 1997 when I was still in Saskatchewan before, you know, before that. Yeah. And I started doing it. it the process was so easy at the time to do applications for physicians. Um, you know, you could get them their permanent residency in almost three months. Um, and I think to me, um, when I moved to Calgary, I decided to take a year off. My youngest son was only three years old. And then my old law firm in Saskatchewan would still call me and say, well, you know what, we have one, a doctor year or a person year, we, you're the only one that we know who's doing immigration. And then I decided, you know what, I already, you know, registered in, in Alberta is maybe I should just start doing immigration only. And that's basically how I started doing it. And then specifically, you know, I started doing it for physicians, they started referring their colleagues to me and and that was how it all started in Saskatchewan. Huh, that's interesting. Well, I can tell you when it comes to people from Saskatchewan coming to to Alberta, um, all you have to do is go to a CFL game between the Calgary Stampeders and the Saskatchewan <laughs> Rough Riders to know that the uh, the desire and passion to return to Saskatchewan and, and to be loyal to your roots is uh, alive and well at those Canadian Football League games. So there's probably more green jerseys and, and you know, watermelon hat wearing fans than, uh, than almost Calgary Stampeders at times. So I think your feelings are, are pretty well shared uh, with, with many people from Saskatchewan who are living and working in Alberta. You know, some people were born in Saskatchewan. I wasn't born there, but to me, that's my home. If people ask me, I would always say it's my home. And it's because of how friendly the people are. It's the pace of living. Everything is different. I, I just, um, I still miss it. Very, very cool. That's awesome. Well, thanks for sharing that. Um, all right, well, let's shift gears and let's let's get right to our topic. Um, let's start off with one of the questions that I think you, you probably get more than any other, and that's the distinction between working as a physician versus physician immigration. So maybe you can help to, to demystify this area a little bit and, and maybe help our listeners to understand what we're getting at with that. Okay. Again, like when I look at physician immigrants, there's many ways how people can get their permanent residency in Canada. You know, a person can come in as a refugee. They may have been, you know, and this is relevant now, they may have been working as a physician in Syria and now come in as a refugee, get their permanent status. Um, they are qualified as a physician in Syria, but and they are a permanent resident in Canada now, but it doesn't mean that they can work. Or you can get somebody who's been sponsored by a spouse. So they get their permanent residency um, and they do not come in on a work permit. So you get quite a high number of foreign trained physicians all over Alberta and I, I can and over Canada. The numbers are quite high. You know, it's like if I look into that, you may have like in, you know, more than 3,000 foreign trained physicians in the Prairie Provinces at any given time. So a lot of people will ask me, you know, if the year that I do work for physicians, I had somebody the other day say to me, but I have a lot of physicians um, in Morocco who would like to move here. I can connect you with all of them. And I always have to say to them, okay, just stop there. For somebody who wants to immigrate, you know, they have to nowadays meet the requirements, say, come in through express entry. But that doesn't mean that they can work as a physician. To work as a physician, you have to be licensed by the College of Physicians and Surgeons. And 
especially the public will say, well, you know what, a body is the same all over the world. So I guess a, a physician, if they could have done this in a different country, I mean, it's it's not like law where it may be different. It is actually quite different because the training differs a lot in different countries. So you may have somebody who have trained somewhere in the world and their knowledge is more comparable to, say, somebody who's a paramedic in Calgary. So for that reason, the, they have to do an assessment of their qualifications. It's the same with law degrees. It's like everybody knows how difficult it is to get into law school in Canada. Um, but you and therefore, you know, you want to protect your profession as well. But you also want to make sure that people who do practice in a profession is really qualified to do so. So just as lawyers, as we wouldn't, you know, our law society wouldn't allow just anybody who has got a four year degree with no degree, pre-law degree before it to just come in and work in Canada, the same will happen with a physician who's coming in. So I always say you can you can immigrate as a physician, but it's quite possible that you may never work as a physician in Canada. That's two very different things. So there's this concept that we hear a lot. Um, well, I shouldn't say concept. This acronym called IMG, an IMG. So yes. what, what is an IMG? Uh, IMG is an international medical graduate. So that would be people who come in as immigrants. So somebody who have maybe studied in the UK, they are, let's say, a citizen in the UK, and they want to move in. But your international medical graduates also include Canadians. So anytime, and, and I'm sure there's a lot of you who know people who want to get into medical school in Canada, it's really, really difficult. Um, I have friends whose daughter went to do her degree in Ireland. So they don't get into a medical school in Canada and then they go and study somewhere else. So they grew up here, they may have grown up in Lethbridge, um, born and raised Canadians, but decide to go and study overseas. So they are all IMGs. And that's so interesting, Irma, because um, my, my brother Danny, who I just was speaking to earlier today over Skype, is actually in the Gold Coast, Australia right now completing his dental degree. So he completed his master's of social work with his family and, you know, three kids and decided, you know what, <laughs> I want to do something else. And so by the time he would have gone back to, to complete his sciences and then go through and apply for dental school here in Canada, it was easy for him just to go to the Gold Coast where there's reciprocity in terms of the education uh, where he can take his, his dental degree and actually take some of the under undergraduate courses, that uh, preparatory courses, and, and, uh, and then come back and just ch challenge the uh, the exams here. So, yeah, I, I, I that's very close to home, <laughs> that example yes. you gave. Now, what the difference is between somebody like your brother is there is there's definitely an agreement, and it's usually on the university's websites as well, that if you go and study dentistry there, you can register in Canada and vice versa. Um, so that's easy for him to come back. The problem that you have with international medical graduates, whether they are new immigrants or Canadians who go and study overseas, they still have to go through a process. And you do not have that same agreements that they may have with some of the Australian dent dentists dentistry schools to have them come and work here. So most of these IMGs have to then get their, the first thing for them is to get their qualifications verified. And that would be, I have given you the link, yeah, but it's I've got the link physicians here. apply. And that's the other thing. It's people say to me, well, I have already got this information that I provided to Immigration Canada, like, you know, ECA report and your medical degree. Well, that doesn't have, that's like two documents. If you look at all the documents that they have to provide to physicians apply to have the assessment done, it's something totally different. So when they do the assessment of a physician, and this is the beginning, just the assessment of the qualification what the physician will have to provide to them, well, obviously their medical degree, but then they also have to, to provide them with all the subjects that they have taken, where they have taken the subject, where did they do their residency training. They have to provide, you know, a lot of information to them on where the residency training was done, because 
if you if we think about residency training in Canada, it's done at a university hospital like the University of Calgary. But in some countries, residency training can be do be done in very small communities as well. So they do not have the supervision. You often see this with physicians coming from the UK, um, less than in my opinion from Ireland, is where, you know, it depends. It's like if you had no supervision from from typically, as I say, at the medical schools here in Canada, of a professor or a consultant or, you know, somebody who's a specialist physician themselves. Overseas, outside of Canada, it may still form part of your residency, but they're not going to accept that in Canada because who really looked at what you were doing? Um, so that's one of the things that they will look into. They will also check into your, your um, they always will ask what they call a certificate of standing to see what is your standing with your medical association, your college, your professional body. Do you have any reason why you shouldn't practice medicine in so they go far beyond what immigration canada would do um, and then they'll do this whole assessment of it um, and if they accept your qualifications at that stage um, they will basically allow you to write the evaluating exam huh. so okay well let's let's Continue and, and forward then. To yeah, please. Get back to this. This process can take very long because, again, um, they're always concerned about fraud. So it's not documents that you can just provide to them direct. You know, you can't just say, okay, this is my certificate of standing. I got a copy from my professional organization. A lot of the documentation that they will required to verify a physician's credential will have to be sent to them directly from, say, the professional organization overseas, from the universities. So, you know, if they want to have like transcripts, they may ask, well, we want the university to send us directly the transcripts. And we want to have the medical counsel of that country to send it directly to us. And they may follow up directly. You know, you, it's not like in immigration where you will just provide them with a letter of reference and that's fine. They'll go further and say, okay, we're going to check with these references that you provided us with. Um, so the process can take several months just to get to the point where they can verify your qualifications. Gotcha. And so just for our listeners again, the, the website is physiciansapply.ca. And uh, that is where you can get information on, on getting your foreign credentials assessed. That's, is that correct, um, Irma? That is correct. And then again, like this process can be quite expensive. So you hear that quite often from physicians who you may have a physician who came in as a refugee who wants to go through this process. But every time that they do anything, they have to pay money. You know, they have to pay money to get their credentials verified. They have to pay money for the exams and stuff. Yes. So it can be quite an expensive process to to follow. So can you talk a little bit uh, now about the evaluating exam? Yes. So once they have done the the credential assessment and say, you know, yes, we do believe that you have the training to practice medicine in Canada, but now we want you to write the evaluating exam. To me, the quickest that I can summarize what the evaluating exam is, it's almost like your final exam in medical school. Um, nowadays, it's um, a lot of times I believe they do it. Um, they have different centers all over the world where you can do it. And different provinces have got different requirements requirements as well. So, you know, it's not that difficult for people to write the evaluating exam. They can do it um, in different countries. Yeah, I was Once looking on the website, Ermin, it looks like there's uh, at least 80 countries in the world yes. where you can sit this exam. Yes. And that have, that have increased quite a bit. So, you know, they go and they write the exam and now they have that exam results and they do have their credential assessment done. The next step for them would be then to see where am I going to practice in Canada? Like, am I going to Ontario, Alberta, um, BC? That's a decision that they have to make. Um, 
every province will have their own requirements. And over the years, it have become more difficult for IMGs to come and register in these provinces. Alberta right now is, it used to be that in the last few years, Alberta wasn't that difficult to get into. BC, it's very, BC, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, um, once you have, when you get to the stage, um, they may actually say to you, okay, we we accept that your qualifications is fine. We accept that you have the evaluating exam, but we also want you to do a practice assessment. And the practice assessment in all of these provinces, I'm not that familiar with the Atlantic provinces. Um, apart from Alberta, the in, in no, let's start with Saskatchewan. In Saskatchewan, the assessments are done at the medical school, and I believe the same in, in Manitoba as well. The problem with the assessments are there are only so many spots available each year. So I have spoken to clients of mine who are desperately looking for physicians in rural BC, um, where they have a need for, say, three physicians to come and join, you know, their practice or the hospital staff, but where they will actually say to them, okay, you only qualify for one assessment. And typically the assessments can be three months. So during that three months, a physician is also not paid. So now you add to the expenses. You have somebody who needs to come and do an assessment. Um, they have to pay for their exams and they do not get an income for that three months. In Alberta, for instance, right now, um, to, to practice in the province, you have to do a three months practice assessment but it needs to be supported by Alberta Health Services. And they will only support a practice assessment if there's really a need for a foreign trained physician. So that's the second thing is a lot of foreign trained physicians go through this whole process. They get their um, credentials verified, they write the exam, and then when they get to the provinces, they may even get a letter from the, the College of Physicians and Surgeons to say that you're eligible to practice in this province, but you must still do a practice assessment. And that's where it's really getting difficult for, for people to, to start practicing medicine because those assessments over the years, um, you know, there was a time where it was very easy. You didn't have to do a practice assessment. Um, now they will accept physicians from more countries. Like many years ago in 1998, they will accept physicians or they accepted physicians from the UK, the US, you know, um, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa. Now they have more countries, but they also have these practice assessments, um, which makes it very difficult for somebody to come into Canada and work as a physician. Hmm. I know even south of here, I, I taught high school in a small little town called Milk River. And uh, for years, uh, husband and wife, uh, just a great couple were the were the physician well uh, the the wife I should say was the physician there and she she worked for years and years and tried to retire a number of times and I think you know eventually she was able to retire but it was so hard to get a doctor to to go down there and I I think even her son who I, I taught in high school became a, a physician and he um, he I know he spent some time as well trying to fill in down there but it's really hard in some of these rural communities. But the reality is if there's only so many spots to do the practice assessments, then that's really where the bottleneck seems to be at this stage. There is a huge bottleneck with that. And the practice assessments, um, I'm not sure when it have changed in the past year. But again, like in Alberta right now with the practice assessments, you can only do that if the assessment is supported by Alberta Health Services. Yes. Yep. Um, it's the same thing in almost all of the provinces. The, the big thing is there's only so many spots available because you need to get somebody. You need to pay somebody to do the assessment. The assessment may take three months. So that makes it very difficult. And then something that they are looking into in Alberta, and I think there was something like that this in the Calgary Herald as well. I usually get the stuff from all my friends who are physicians. They, they do have as in the rest of Canada, always a problem with the cost of paying physicians. So one of the things that they are looking into, and they, I, I don't know what will happen with this in Alberta, is actually restricting the, um, the issuings 
issuance of new billing numbers to physicians. So one of the things they're looking at, okay, how can we bring down the healthcare costs in Alberta? Yeah. Well, maybe we will allow less doctors to open new clinics. So they said, um, you know, one of the things, and this is stuff that they are just looking into right now in Alberta, and nothing has been decided. But one of the things is to say, okay, you know, physicians who've qualified in Alberta at the two universities and medical schools, we'll make sure that they do get billing numbers and you can't practice medicine without a billing number because that's how you get paid. But we may restrict it for the rest of Canada. So just to put it into perspective is you often get foreign trained physicians who get very, very upset that they cannot practice in Canada. Um, and if this is this change is going to happen in Alberta, you will actually have Canadian trained doctors who may not practice in Alberta. Wow. Yeah, it's, it is very interesting. And I know from a practical standpoint, you know, as these IMGs are, are looking to come and, and practice in Alberta, you know, when they're recruited or, or otherwise, um, they require a labor market impact assessment. So, the, you yes. know, so, so the, you know, the engaging entity, the employer of record has to actually obtain a labor market impact assessment um, to support the entry of that international med- medical graduate, you know, to, to, to do the practice assessment um, even before, you know, they can, they can start working in the location that they've been hired to work in. So um, that just adds a whole nother level. So when you identify, especially in Alberta, and I, I've done a fair amount of work with, with physicians here in Alberta as well, you know, the reality is they, uh, you know, they, the, the whole process has to be, cleared and there has to be shown that there's a shortage of, of Canadian doctors uh, and uh, a lot of them do go to more rural communities initially and that's how they're trying to staff them but it's still not an easy process it's unbelievably lengthy and um, you know it's for that reason uh, often these LMIAs are even issued for for five years which is one of the rare lengthier LMIAs that are issued by by the government. Yes, and you know, speaking about the LMIAs in the good old days, when it was still LMOs, <laughs> getting one for a physician was so easy. I mean, it was like you go and you get the form and you just, you know, five minutes and the form is completed, you fax it in and a week later you have the LMIA or the LMO. Yeah. It was like physicians was like the easiest group of people to get LMIAs for. That have changed dramatically in Alberta as well. And it's it's still kind of funny to me, but one of the zones, Alberta Health Services will often do their own LMIAs because they do so many of them, you know, they're not they just keep on doing it. But they had some of their own LMIA applications rejected. Yes. To me, was really you may be aware of that as well. I just thought, okay, this is this is hilarious. I mean, one government, the federal government, rejecting the LMIA application of Alberta Health Services. Surely something is wrong with this. But yeah, it is really difficult right now to get an LMIA for a physician as well because um, you have to really prove that there's not a Canadian or a permanent resident who can you know, basically fill this position. And again, you know, you may have um, foreign trained physicians who even get an eligibility letter. They go through this whole process who came in under whatever stream they, you know, they may have come in as a refugee um, and now they are Canadian citizens. So they have to consider those 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 applicants, those physicians first, and then get them to do the assessment. Um, now, unfortunately, quite often they may not be successful in the assessment because they haven't practiced medicine for so long. But that's quite something as well, you know, that they have to do this now and show that they have looked into recruiting physicians um, who is already in Canada. Um, and that makes it more difficult to to get an LMIA for a physician now, it's not a slam dunk anymore. It's it's not easy anymore. Huh, interesting. Okay, so sometimes people just want to complete their residency training. And I know, you know, in the U.S., um, often, um, you know, foreign trained physicians will, will be able to do that. Are those options available in Canada? It's very, very difficult um, because like in the U.S., you still have to enter the match program. And the match program... Um, right now, all over Canada, in the past last week, they were doing a lot of 
you know, interviews to, to hire residents. So the match program is a program basically where you have to, as an applicant, you know, say in which areas you would like to do your residency and they will match it up with the spots that's available. So in Canada, obviously they're going to give preference to, to Canadian um, students who have qualified from a Canadian medical school. And even, you know, even if you studied medicine in Canada, you, you may not get the residency and be matched to what you want to do. So there's certain residencies that's always difficult to get into, like radiology, dermatology, um, ophthalmology. Um, so you may have somebody who have done their medical degree in Canada who wants to get into that. But when they do the match, they may not make it because they may, they may have other applicants um, also wanting to do that. So when you're coming in as a foreign trained physician, you know, and you may even be a Canadian citizen, it's really, really difficult to get into those programs um, just because you're kind of at the bottom. They only keep a certain amount of spots available, a certain percentage to IMGs. Now, in some of the provinces, the province may have a program, and I've had clients who've done this as well, where, you know, somebody may have worked as a family physician in rural Saskatchewan, but would now like to go and specialize in surgery. And they, there may be a need for a general surgeon in a community, maybe such as where you're in, like in Lesbridge. Mm -hmm. So they will then say, okay, we will sponsor this residency of this physician who's already working in the province, but then we will have a return for service agreement where after they complete their residency, they have to come back to this rural area to work as a specialist. So there are some of those programs available, but not a lot of them. Hmm. So, to, so quite often, I would say to physicians who contact me from outside of Canada, and that's why you will see that a lot of physicians will go and do their residency training. They may come from India or Pakistan or the Middle East, and they will go and do their residency training in the U.S., and then after that, they may come to Canada. That, that makes a lot of sense. So as we go through this whole process... And uh, obviously, as immigration lawyers, you know, sometimes we're involved with the, you know, with the obtaining of LMIAs. And like you said, you know, the, the province and, and the, um, the health authority in, in Alberta tends to do a lot of things uh, internally. Um, sometimes we are involved with obtaining and assisting physicians with their work permits and things like that. But uh, when it comes to permanent residence, what do you find are the best pathways for helping these physicians to transition to permanent residence? Well, again, it was wonderful to use express entry <laughs> because you used to get that 600 points. So you can almost stop thinking, you know, you, your client started out with 600 points. Now I want to have to be careful because especially on express entry, they now only get 50 points. And when you have an older physician, now if you take how long it you know, people have to get into medical school, then they have to complete medical school, they have to complete their residency, and maybe they work a few years before they move to Canada. And as you know, with express entry, you lose a lot of points well, very Well, I, I know both you and I, and probably all of them are zeros uh, <laughs> when it comes to <laughs> express entry and the amount of points we can get for for age. So <laughs> that's, you know, so typically the physician that they like to see in a rural community is a physician, you know, with a family, because yes. if the kids start school, they may actually stay in the community, you know, until the kids have completed their school and stuff. But now that that physician is the same one is going to get zero points. So I've had quite a few physicians in Alberta who is working as physicians right now um, who, who cannot qualify under express entry. They may only get like 400 points. Um, and that's kind of sad to me because then I do an express entry application for a young engineer who's 20 eight years old, we all know he's not going to find a job right now in Alberta. Um, but he's got a master's degree, he's 28, English is his first language, he qualifies. So, you know, I, I do understand why they made the changes to express entry, because we all know that a lot of people applied under express entry because, you know, there was a lot of cooks and chefs applying, and they had an abundance of those applications. But for physicians, 
if they cannot get enough points under express entry, I still go back to the provincial nominee programs, which yes. you can use in most of the provinces. The only frustrating thing, again, it's taking so much longer. Yes. Yeah, the processing times are are quite high. And, uh, yeah, I would love to get uh, the, the program manager, Brad Trefan, on the podcast to talk a little bit about the challenges that he goes through. And, you know, it's, it's really difficult when you have 5,500 spots or allocations that you can um, that you can issue in a given year. It's really hard to you know, to work through divvying up those spots in a fair and even way. And, mm-hmm. and so the only way sometimes you can deal with that is, is by slowing down the processing and, and just taking a few people from each particular industry. And I think generally speaking, when it comes to the nominations, physicians are still pretty highly favored. So those, those nominations yes. come through pretty yes. quick, but that's just step one. And it's the second part of filing your application for permanent residence to uh, IRCC or Immigration Refugees and Citizenship Canada. That's what's taking the eternity. So um, hopefully our our, our federal immigration department will be kind enough to uh, address those issues as, you know, as those backlogged queues start to um, to flush out in some of the other legacy permanent resident categories. You know, and as, as the emphasis is placed on express entry, obviously that's their priority where a lot of resources are applied, but hopefully they won't forget about the provincial, you know, the traditional PNP routes. Well, you know, every time that Brad Trafford is coming to a CBA meeting, they will always be, I always say, a new lawyer who haven't dealt with him before, and they will ask him, well, can't you guys do anything, you know, from the provinces as a director to have them process these applications faster, you know, on a federal level? <laughs> Yeah, you laugh because, you know, he just looks and say, no. <laughs> I think <laughs> well, if, they're, if they're not returning his calls. <laughs> you know, it's, it is what it is. But, yeah, I think, you know, and, and the problem right now where physicians cannot use express entry anymore, I mean, technically they can, but they're not getting that 600 points. They're only getting 50 now is, um, again, it's – getting more difficult to get LMIAs. So you really have to look at your physician clients and they're notorious for not getting their documents to you. Mm-hmm. You know, they can be very slow. And again, they, they're very busy in their professional life and that's what their focus is on. But you kind of have to really say to them, you know, you're going to run out of time here because you may not get a new LMIA because they get a three-year work permit or a five-year work permit, but they may be like in the last year of that permit still under the impression, okay, I'm just going to apply for a new LMIA. I find that very um, frustrating is that they really do not understand that they're not going to get a new LMIA. In Alberta, I know in Saskatchewan as well as in BC, they really start telling physicians, you have to apply for permanent residency because things have changed a lot. We cannot just get you a new LMIA. Um, Now, again, with express entry not being an option, we now have to go to the nominee program. So we're already in the second month of this year. So you may have somebody whose work permit is going to expire um, by the end of the year. That's not a lot of time because now you have to get into the nominee program, get them to issue the nomination, submit that application, and get the receipt back from Immigration Canada to do the bridging work permit. And as you know, that can easily add up to, to quite an like what say, you know, yeah, four, five months. months to get mm-hmm. the nomination, two, three months to get the receipt. Um, and before you know it, they can't even get a breaching work permit. Yeah, your time is gone. And so, you know, that's something that I'll just reemphasize again. So if you are in Canada as a physician and you're working right now, no matter what province you're in, you know, consider yourself very fortunate that you do have that labor market impact assessment supporting your work permit, but do not waste time. Don't dawdle. Um, you know, if you don't have the time to, to start the process on your own, then, you know, this is one of the w- one times where I will, you know, plug our services or the, the reality is if you can engage someone to help you through that process and get it filed, you are, you know, the last thing in the world you'd want to be in is a, is a situation where the, the health authority is unable to get a new labor market impact assessment. Your time's running out and you're not going to qualify for permanent residence. 
And so um, if you can't extend your work permit often, even with the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program, then that will unravel that, that whole permanent resident application. So more important than, you know, than at any time before is, the, is transitioning from your work, your temporary foreign worker status to permanent residence as quickly as you possibly can at the earliest opportunity. Yes, I I cannot say how important that is, and, and you see that happening all the time. It always takes a few years, I find, for people to realize, okay, major changes have been made to policy before they start thinking, okay, this can actually apply to me as well. Absolutely. Well, Irma, this has just been wonderful. And I think anyone, any international medical graduate who's looking at actually working in Canada as a physician uh, will be able to benefit tremendously from what you've shared here. I'll make sure to include the links to the, you know, the, 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 the qualification um, assessment process uh, to examples of the matching programs and things like that. So those links that we've talked about in our podcast today, I'll make sure I put those within the show notes for the for the show, but is there anything else that we haven't talked about uh, to this point that you think might be useful to to anyone um, that is looking at uh, getting involved in, in coming to Canada as a physician? No, I think the only, yeah, maybe one thing, you know, I've had other lawyers asking me this question quite often over the years. We all want to advocate for our clients. We all want to to do the best for them, you know, but I will often get this more from lawyers even than from other clients. Well, this seems to be so unfair that this doctor cannot work in Canada, you know, and then you start looking into, um, you know, maybe I should take this up with a college of physicians and surgeons and, and, and see, because maybe, you know, they're discriminating or whatever. Um, I think you do not always do your client a favor. Um, if you kind of, create that expectation that you're going to change the system because it's not going to be changed. These policies are, you know, again, like um, if they make a policy that if you have to do an assessment, it must be supported by Alberta Health Services. You're not going to easily change that because they have put lots of hours, they have had lots of meetings into this. Um, I often find that people want to take on the system. Mm. Um, It's quite a system to take on. (laughs) (laughs) I usually say, you know, for your client's sake, maybe be realistic about what they can do. And if you have a foreign trained physician coming to you, just always, you know, remind them that and I usually go back to is I cannot practice law without being a member of the law society. I can live in Canada, but there's two different things. I don't think you do your clients any favor if they're overseas by creating the expectation that it, you know, maybe things will change and you can actually practice. Canada is not a country where it's very easy for physicians to come into and to practice medicine. Yeah. That, that that pretty much that that definitely sums up the situation right now now without trying to be you know too discouraging because we that wasn't the purpose of the podcast <laughs> obviously there are lots of physicians that, that you know foreign trained physicians that Absolutely. are able to come into Canada and work and transition to permanent residence and and everything and there's others that who've come in through other means and and then later are able to qualify so we don't want to give the impression that it's this insurmountable hill but Sorry, I think, did I do that? no not at all but <laughs> no, we, I but, think but I think both of I'm... us I think both of us were very realistic in our approach and the last thing in the world we'd want to give is an impression that it's just this easy little thing if you follow these simple steps you're guaranteed to be able to practice but no. with you know with that being said if you go in knowing you know what what the expectations are and and keeping those in um you know in perspective uh this most definitely is a wonderful pathway for for coming to canada and and you know for foreign trained physicians who are looking for um just a a change in 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 opportunity and and even lifestyle and the other thing that i also remind people of is um it's it's a landscape that's always changing. You know, right now, apparently in Alberta, we have too many physicians, especially in the city. So they have an oversupply of family physicians. So obviously, they're going to restrict who can practice. And that's why 
you know, if you do an assessment, it must be supported by Alberta Health Services. Maybe in five years from now, there's a shortage again because they've restricted it too much. You know, so you always have to go and look because the requirements can change a lot. Um, the other thing I always say to people, if you are going to, if you consider moving to Canada as a physician, start in the small rural towns because that's never going to change. Everybody wants to live in the cities. So, you know, be realistic about it and go and look at your rural communities because that will always be the place where there's the biggest need for physicians. Um, and in all the years that I have done this, that haven't changed. Yeah, that, that's great insight. That is really, really great insight. Well, Irma, thank you so much for, for joining me on the podcast. This was a lot thank of fun. Um, if people are looking for more information on this topic, what is the best way to reach you? You know what? Always email. And what is your email address? Irma Roberts at Shaw.ca. Okay, Irma Roberts at Shaw.ca. Perfect. Yes. Well, that's great. Well, thank you for having me. You bet. It was great. Thanks so much, Irma. Okay. Okay, bye. Well, that was, that was once again a great interview. And uh, it was really fun getting uh, caught up with Irma again. And I, I do a fair amount of work as well with uh, foreign doctors, transitioning them from you know their worker status to permanent resident status in Canada. And uh, it's just great to talk with someone else who who has had so much experience in this particular unique narrow field. And uh, you know, we if there's anyone who is delving into this area and has questions. Boy, the, the links that we'll post on the within the show notes for the podcast and the information that Irma has shared here, very down-to-earth, practical, realistic experience um, will be invaluable. And more, you know, more important than anything, I just want to emphasize to everyone how critical it is to be realistic. And uh, and sometimes as representatives, our desire to to gain a new client and to you know, to, to pursue a certain avenue, well, that avenue may be there, you know, but, you know, the chances of success might be fairly low. And so I always admire lawyers and, and consultants and other representatives who are realistic, who are all about the client. And sometimes we have to manage their expectations. And right now, as Irma identified, and as I've experienced, you know, the prospects for coming and practicing medicine in Alberta, for instance, um, are, are not great. The market isn't such that they're looking to recruit large numbers of, of, of foreign doctors. Um, our smaller communities in the rural areas, if you're interested, as Irma indicated, in, in coming and, and uh, coming to Al Alberta or, or any province where there's rural hospitals, there's definitely a much higher demand for um, foreign physicians who are willing to work in those uh, more remote locations. So I don't want to dissuade anyone from feeling like the prospects are, are, are really poor, uh, but the reality is we need to manage people's expectations and help them to realize that they could go through the whole process of credential recognition and everything and not have an opportunity um, for a, an actual position. So with that being said, um, I want to once again thank everybody for all of your ongoing support. Uh, for the feedback that I've been getting from people, which has been really fantastic. And I'll tell you, it sure means a lot to me. I love doing this. I love showcasing um, immigration lawyers and, and consultants that are doing it right. And I know that the effort that they put into providing really helpful information uh, is what makes the podcast successful. So we, as I indicated in past podcasts, we, you know, the month of January, we, we crossed over 3,500 uh, 3,500 downloads, which is phenomenal. And uh, it's just, it's so rewarding to know that people are actually listening and benefiting from this. So please continue to share, go to iTunes and uh, subscribe to the Canadian Immigration Podcast and, and please leave a review. Uh, I know I ask every week and very few people do. So leave a review. Every one of you that are listening to this podcast, go to iTunes right now find the Canadian Immigration Podcast. If you're not already subscribed, subscribe to it and leave a review. If you say, Mark is an idiot, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Fortunately, he has good guests on that make it worthwhile. 
I don't care. Be honest. Do what you can. And uh, I, I love that, uh, uh, just the engagement. So um, hopefully I'm not turning too many people off <laughs> with this, uh, you know, with my commentary all the time. But uh, thanks anyways for, for all of your support. And um, uh, if you have ideas for future guests for the podcast um, or any thoughts or comments, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. As I've started to indicate, uh, the best way is probably via email to mholthy at holthylaw.com. That's probably the best way to reach me as the, the social media world is, is great, but I just don't have the same amount of time that I used to um, to respond to, uh, to you know the interaction through, through social media avenues. Well, I think that pretty much does it for this episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed it and uh, I wish you all the best as you navigate this crazy world of Canadian immigration law, policy, and practice. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Yeah.